The flight deck is made possible by the generous donors supporting the Museum of Flight. You can support this podcast and the Museum of Flight's other initiatives across the United States and the world by visiting museumofflight.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. I am your host, Sean Mobley. Conspiracy theories are unavoidable when your museum deals with topics involving science, with the moon landing, of course, being a target for many of these unsound lines of reasoning. Tony Gondola, outreach coordinator at New Mexico Museum of Space History, sat down to talk with me recently during his visit to the museum about conspiracy theories, how to debunk them with science, and how people who make up these theories profit off the people who fall for them. The topic of conspiracy theories is so fascinating and so broad. Your your focus is very much on the moon landing. My focus is on the moon landings, but in, in looking at all that and dealing with all that, you can't help but get sucked into a lot of the other things that are happening out there right now. Right now, flat earth stuff is everywhere, and that seems to be growing in popularity even maybe more than the moon landing conspiracies are now. How do you, as you are doing some of this research, keep yourself sane and keep from going you know what, maybe they have a point. <laughs> I never I never really feel that way because all of the claims of the hoaxers are usually so easy to debunk. They're not going very, very deep into the science. They're not going very, very deep into researching anything. So it's very, you, very quickly you can see where the flaws in the logic are. A general overview for listeners who, <laughs> I hate to spread false ideas, but you know, what are some of the common objections that you hear for moon landing. You know, we didn't land on the moon and it's obvious because Yeah, X. well, it 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 all feeds on a on a on a common distrust of authority and a distrust of government and and distrust of science these days too. Um in many ways our political atmosphere right now is is anti-science and so it, it there's a lot of that out there. I think people just tend to look at things at face value and don't go any deeper than that. And they accept things on face value. So the people that are, are, are pushing these ideas, when we didn't land on the moon and so forth, basically they, they depend on that. For instance, I just very recently, you know, Bert Siebel, right? Okay, big moon hoaxer guy, done it for years. Um, he recently posted a video on YouTube where a little girl had asked Buzz, why haven't you been back to the moon? But that question was 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 kind of lost in the background noise. You could kind of hear it, okay? And they took that to say, why didn't you land on the moon? And so they took Buzz's answers and twisted it all around to him admitting that, yes, we didn't land on the moon. But if you go back and listen very carefully, you can hear the question. And the question was, why haven't you been back to the moon? Not, why didn't you land on the moon? So that's pretty typical about you know, how these things work. And someone who wants to believe, they're not going to go back and they're listen carefully. You know, they're going to go with what Bart says. And so that's very typical. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. I don't come at things from a science perspective. My background is more in history. And I see that a lot in how people understand history. They hear a version of some historical event. Uh, I mean, we, we have a an American mythology in many ways around a great example 
is actually the Boston Tea Party. Popular images about colonials in feathered headdresses are out there. And this is essentially, it's not a conspiracy, but it is a complete fallacy where if you do even just a little bit of thinking about it, those headdresses are from Plains Indians. People in Massachusetts right. would never have met them. Right. So there's no way that they would have been wearing anything like that. It's yeah. interesting. It's it's but it's a little bit different because because, you know, no one's saying that, you know, the American Revolution didn't happen. Right. I mean, and, and that's kind of the scale of what you're dealing with. We don't when want people to start say, that rumor. <laughs> yeah, right. That that the moon landings didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit it's a little bit different. Why is it important that it happened or didn't like why is it important to counter these kinds of ideas i think it's important because again it all goes back to sort of the the accepting what you see on social media the whole anti-science thing um it was a very important event to those of us who who were alive at the time and i count myself as one of those people and that can remember those those days um it one of the great things that apollo did and it only lasted for a day, but the day that we landed on the moon and the day that we walked on the moon, the entire planet was united. Everybody forgot all of their petty or major differences and everyone was watching what was happening with the moon landings. And it really showed that under the right circumstances, that can happen. And, and I think that's very important. And I would hate to see that being denied uh, as, as a great historical event. And not to mention the, the science that was accomplished and, and everything else that goes with it. Yeah, I don't think we've delved into the podcast into that all that much of what the astronauts actually did on the moon. And they didn't just go up there and walk around for a few minutes and get back in their car and go home. Yeah, I mean, even with the first moon landing, I mean, there was uh, scientists didn't have a lot of input with the first moon landing. Uh, they really wanted that to just get to the moon, <laughs> land, walk around a little bit and come home. Don't right. do anything crazy. But yet, you know, they still uh, left some experiments. They left the uh, the uh, the laser uh, reflector on the moon for Apollo 11, which is, which is still used. As a matter of fact, I was visiting a telescope two weeks ago, uh, three and a half meter up at Apache Point in Alamogordo. And they, they regularly ping that retro reflector uh, at the Apollo 11 site and some other sites. So even from the very beginning, they were, doing, they were doing some science, although that wasn't really the primary. That was really never the primary focus of Apollo. But you get into the later missions and science becomes more and more important. You mentioned the laser reflectors, so maybe it's a good chance to transition a little bit uh, into some of the common things that are said and how you can debunk them. So why don't you talk a little bit more about these deflectors for people who might not know Yeah, what they did, they look like a little tilted suitcase, and there's a type of prison called a corner cube reflector, and if you shine light into it, it shines it directly back to the source. So if you take a telescope on Earth and put a laser in it where the eyepiece would go and shoot a beam of laser light towards these reflectors, you'll get a pulse back. And by carefully timing the time you send the pulse and the time you receive the pulse, you can tell how far away the moon is. And they can do that now to an accuracy of about one millimeter. So that's really important research that's still being done today. So one of the pieces of evidence then that we landed there. There is is something there (laughs) in the right place that's reflecting that laser light. And there aren't a lot of things that can do that, you know, right back to the source. There's really only one thing that can do that. So yeah, there's something there. And they've been pinging these these reflectors for a long, long time. 
This isn't something that they've just started doing. They were doing it back in the 70s. Mm -hmm. So someone might say, oh, sure, well, we've gone to the moon and put those reflectors there now, but, you know, they've been pinging them for a very long time. You've worked in museums for a long time. Yes. How often do you actually encounter visitors or people in the wild, as it were, here? In the wild. Or in, in your... In New Mexico, you get a whole different kind of conspiracy with Area 51s and southwestern United States and general. Yeah, well, we got the whole Roswell thing going on, yeah. which, you know, I have to say, it's really good for Roswell. So I'm not going <laughs> to not really knock that one, you know, too much. But I would say it on a daily basis, yeah, I, I will run into people and in various places in the museum and start talking to them. And um, I... A day doesn't go by where I don't get a question like that. And it's not usually an accusatory type thing. It's usually, you know, I don't know, my brother-in-law says, and they'll go into one of these things. And so you just have to be very understanding and try to explain the science a little bit and just having them get into a frame of mind where maybe they can think about that a little bit. Uh -huh. Yeah. But it's, it happens a lot. What do you think... For our listeners, do you think it's worth their time, as it were, if somebody, if they were at dinner with family or friends and somehow it comes up that moon landing didn't happen? You got to be or? careful because sometimes it's it's like politics and religion, you know, uh, so you don't want to split up the family over something like that. <laughs> but yeah, I think there are ways to approach it. And, and the way you don't want to approach it is you don't want to tell somebody just flat out they're wrong or that they're stupid or, or anything like that. Um, you just want to kind of get into it and say, well, gee, that's interesting, but this is how this works. So how does that work with what you're thinking? And, you know, so you can kind of gently sort of lead them into thinking about maybe that's not the case. If you go head to head with these people, it is like politics and religion. You're not going to get anywhere. You know, they're just going to shut down. I would refer people to YouTube, but then again, they'll find probably a lot no, of... No, don't refer people to YouTube. <laughs> don't go to YouTube. <laughs> YouTube is a big part of the, of the problem. Uh, social media, I, I'm trying to remember the numbers. In 1999, there was a Gallup poll that said, do you, do you believe that we went to the moon? And about 5% of people responding to that poll said, no, that we didn't go to the moon. Uh, but since the advent of social media, Twitter, YouTube, things like that, Facebook, uh, it's now up around 20%. So social media, particularly YouTube, because anybody can put up a YouTube channel, anyone can post videos, anyone can wear a lab coat, anyone can use you know scientific words. And if you don't have the background or the tools to assess what they're telling you, then you're going to believe it, especially for youngsters. It's a real problem with young people because they didn't live through it. So for them, it's it's already kind of not real. And so it's very easy. Plus, I, I found that I grew up with ABC, NBC, and CBS, right? So if I'm on YouTube and I see something put out by a major trusted news organization, I generally will trust it. But for younger people, they didn't grow up with that. They give these things equal weight. And so it can be a real problem in, in getting them to think about that and, and, and consider their sources. You mentioned one of the big hoaxsters. What do they stand to gain from leading people astray? Well, if you've, if you've written books, right? Uh, if you have a YouTube channel, which you're also getting money for, and you have an associated Patreon account, um, it all comes down, I think, for a lot of these people, speaking fees, it all comes down to money. 
it all comes down to money. I really don't think that the major people that are that are pushing these these ideas, I'm not even sure that they believe it. But it's working for them. They're making a living. You can convince yourself of a lot after you've said it over and over. <laughs> yes, you certainly can. That's right. And and sometimes it's it's just enough to put it out there. It doesn't matter how outrageous it might be. You just have to put it out there. And even if it be, if it's thoroughly debunked down the road, people remember the first instance, and that's what sticks. To wrap it up, I guess, what are some quick and dirty common conspiracies that you've heard or reasons why, and how would you pull them apart? Let's go back to Flat Earth. All right. Because that's kind of something that's been been nagging at me for a while, mainly because it's just become it's it's really become big and it's really become popular. And it it, it really it goes to the base of all of these types of conspiracy theories in that you look at something with your limited human perception, right? Your eyes, your ears. That's right, that's what I see. Okay. So you look out, you go out to New Mexico, eastern New Mexico, or you go out to eastern Washington where it's flat. You can see for miles and miles and miles. And you say, well, no, the earth can't be curved. Look at, look at it. It's flat. Okay, that's what your perceptions are telling you. Um, and you don't go beyond that. I mean, you can, with two yardsticks and a guy on a bicycle um, and two cell phones, you can prove that the earth is round. You can even take a pretty good stab at measuring exactly what the diameter of the earth is. Um, but people won't go there. They just accept what they see. And then if they find someone who can validate that, then it's off to the races. The earth is flat. And going back to the history part of things, there's a huge misconception that Columbus was the first person who thought the earth was round. But going back to ancient times, they did basically what you said, minus the cell phone, right. and were able to mathematically figure out to pretty good accuracy the... I think Aristophanes was about five, within about 5% of the, 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 the correct value. Yeah. And that was just... A guy pacing off the distance and, and a couple of sticks. So, yeah, you're yeah. right. So this is not new information. No. Even though it's kind of taught as new information. Right. It's something that we've known for thousands of years. Right. And and it's... Without it's, having to go to space to prove it. Yeah, it, it doesn't. There are a lot of different ways that, that you can prove it. I mean, you can, you can find um, a large lake and make measurements that way. There's just a lot of ways to easily debunk it. But if you, if you won't go there and if you won't take the time to do a little research, you're just going to accept it, which is unfortunate because our society is so dependent on technology that it's very worrisome that people could be so easily hoodwinked. Because if they're going to believe in that, what are they going to believe in from Apple? What are they going to believe in from Amazon and, you know, these other entities that are becoming very powerful? It's, it's, it's very, very, very troubling. People not making the effort to think and to question. And that's, I think, the bright side of things, though, is that you can replicate things on Earth that help with proving moon landings or, or that the Earth is indeed round. There are simple experiments that people can do and basic kind of research that you can do to help prove it to yourself and, and to the world. Yeah, and, and indeed there are. And, and you just have to have the, enough of the curiosity to make the effort. And that's what it all comes down to. Well, Tony, is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up here? Uh, no. It's great to see you again. Looking forward to your, your program this afternoon. Yeah, I am too. Thanks for the opportunity. Awesome. Thank you for coming by. You bet. Thank you for joining me today on The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. 
we are preparing for the grand reopening of our Apollo exhibit, so the next time you visit the museum, you can walk in the footsteps of the astronauts and explore our history in space. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with our episodes, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded us from. You can contact the show at podcast.museumofflight.org. Until next time, this is your host, Sean Mobley, saying to everyone out there on that good earth, we'll see you out there, folks. <laughs>